CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to the Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Danny Nelson, and David Morris here today to talk you through all that's going on in the world of crypto. Seems to be a big announcement from the DOJ. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, we are starting off with some layoff news from Consensus. Yeah, we have the regrettable announcement that Consensus, the Ethereum development studio, Joe Lubin, the head of Consensus, was one of the co-founders of Ethereum, was very involved from the very beginning with that project. The numbers that I saw was they're laying off about 100 people out of about 1,000 people. 11% is the rate that they announced. You know, this is kind of part of, similarly to what uh, I think Coinbase announced recently, this is just kind of part of the way the crypto cycle works at this early stage in development. There are moments when people have to get a little bit leaner, and this is obviously one of them. I do want to make, I guess, two observations here. One is just that 11% as a, as a layoff rate is actually lower than what we're seeing from a lot of other layoffs coming down the pike right now, including Coinbase and Kraken. And also in the announcement, Lubin emphasizes that the strategy going forward census will be to really focus on things that are the most promising and the most uh, core to their business. And at this point, that includes MetaMask, which is the wallet software, and probably more pretty soon, and Infura, one of their infrastructure offerings. This tracks pretty well to what I was expecting to see, just more of a focus on services that people are going to actually use, generate revenue and a lot less on sort of financial games. Obviously not great news, but not unexpected either. And consensus still going strong and still a, a quite large organization with nearly a thousand employees still on the books. Zach, go for it. Not consensus's first rodeo here. We've seen a lot of these layoff stories over the years from consensus riding those highs and lows of the crypto market often comes with some of these corrections, I guess, in the headcount. The fact that this is, uh, you know, 100 people, it's, it's certainly, you know, 100 people who are now facing a bit of uncertainty in terms of their job prospects. That sucks, but it certainly could be worse. I think the biggest cuts we've seen in headcount have been sort of on the CFI side, which is the back end of this statement from Lubin, especially around mm -hmm. exchanges who, who you know, perhaps hired a bit too fast during the bull market. So the fact that this is 10%, relatively small in historical terms for consensus, they've seen some major layoffs. I remember at one point covering yeah. a consensus layoff story that was something like 1,300 people were let go. I think the last crypto winter, remember we did some reporting about that 
Certainly they've been through it again. I think it's just worth repeating that total number since April is now north of 28,000 crypto jobs slashed. So there's a lot of people since April who have lost work in the crypto sector. And that's really a remarkable number that keeps on growing, mm. uh, even if by a small increment in this instance. I'll toss it over to Wendy. Yeah, what's your take on consensus? I just don't like layoffs. I think they're terrible. And I think now is the time that we actually need to focus on building things during the bull markets. Again, everybody just throws money around. Everything's great. Everybody's kind of just like doing their own thing. But in the bear markets, that's when we kind of really need to put our head down and build. I remember the first like real crypto event I went to. And I can't remember her name off the top of my head. And she's a friend of mine. So forgive me. But she said, bear markets are for building. And I was like, this is like 2018. And she explained why. She says the hype kind of ceases a little bit. Everybody's got more time on their hands. So I understand that they do have to do the layoffs to keep the business afloat. But just because volume is down and whatnot, but I'm just not understanding how these people are not budgeting to continue to keep these jobs intact and to continue to keep building. When we're talking about tech, which cryptocurrency is a part of the tech world, I feel like humans are so focused on like advancements, advancements, advancements. And if you're firing people and not building during these downtimes when you can actually flourish if you budget properly, could these particular projects get left behind? I want to say that Phantom Wallet is going to be coming out with a really great update to allow Solana, Ethereum, and Polygon services to be a part of. So maybe MetaMask will lose its market share to products that are actually have their head down in building. Yeah, and this is just a good reminder that consensus is, is not immune to the market forces that are affecting all tech businesses. It's not just crypto that's laying off people right now. I think Microsoft announced that it was cutting, I think, 11,000 people. So just an order of magnitude bigger for a company that is orders of magnitude bigger, but everyone's feeling the pain in uh, this economy. And it's not just crypto that's uh, coming under pressure. That was a big layoff from the Microsoft folks. Anyway, we'll leave this one here. I'm sure there's gonna be more layoff stories to come and we're gonna change gears and give it to Wendy. Take us to Japan. Wendy, what's up? More crypto sadness. Coinbase confirms it's halting operations in Japan. So basically they're gonna be stopping everything that's happening in Japan due to volatile market conditions. Kraken recently announced they are also ceasing its operations in Japan this month. Coinbase Japan will soon conduct a complete review of its business in the country. And Coinbase essentially entered the Japanese market after completing registration with the Japanese FCA in June of 2021. So this kind of seems like an abrupt ending. All customers will have until February 16th to withdraw their fiat and cryptocurrency. Again, you guys, if you're using Coinbase in Japan and you're a customer, please make sure to take note of that date. It looks like it is February 16th. My whole thing about this is, is they just kind of entered the Japanese market and now they're leaving. And one of the things I'm noticing, like we talked about the DOJ news that's going to be coming out later today. And I'm wondering if both Kraken and Coinbase are leaving because of anything that has to do with that. Zach, I'd love to get your take on this and your thoughts. I mean, Japan is a tough market, right? They've been historically very diligent in regulating crypto businesses. The cost of compliance is a bit higher there, is my understanding. So Japan remains a tough one for outside companies to enter and serve well. So I think that's sort of the story that I'm seeing here with Coinbase and Kraken both, you know, taking their ball and going home. You know, this speaks to the, the overall narrative of cuts, whether it's headcount, whether it's business lines. This is what you're seeing, especially in the CeFi space, as they, again, contract relative to that rapid expansion that they had during the bull run. So this, to me, is still part of that bigger narrative. But also just Japan is a tricky market, I think, and has been historically for a lot of crypto businesses going back some years now. David, I'm tossing it to you, though. Yeah, I just want to expand on that point about Japan. I'm not intimately familiar with the, the deep numbers, but it has never seemed like a particularly large market for crypto. And there are a lot of reasons for that. The regulatory aspect is certainly important. 
But I think I would also draw attention to just cultural uh, factors. Specifically, I mean, we think about South Korea as a huge crypto market. And one way to think about that is it's a very hierarchical country. And there are a lot of people who are looking for opportunities to, to move up. And things are a little bit different in Japan. It's changed over time, but in general, it's a very egalitarian country where there's not a tech market, soft bank aside for like IPOs and, and things like that. So it's sort of a question of mentality as much as regulation. I think that there, uh, to a certain extent, these, these departures can be seen as just signs that, uh, you know, Japanese people, obviously plenty of people who are interested in tech, but at the sort of population level, not quite as much interest in, in crypto as you'll find somewhere like uh, South Korea or the US. So that's a definitely significant difference. Yeah, and it's pretty disappointing to see Coinbase throwing in the towel on this front. They, for so long, wanted to enter the Japanese market because it, it is a very niche place, which has its uh, taste in crypto. XRP is notably very popular there, and that's not so, quite so popular on Coinbase. But it took Coinbase years to get the licensing it needed to enter the, the Japanese market. And to now say, well, we're just going to evaluate our, uh, where we stand and maybe we're going to take the foot off the pedal that's top everything. That's a really disappointing development to see. One of the things that I wanted to chime in and say really quick is that like, we see Binance that's making moves all over the world. And I feel like this could be a very bad thing for Coinbase and Kraken to kind of lose that market share. I do understand that laws and regulations are different. It's an expensive top right there. And maybe the risk doesn't outweigh the reward right now. But at the same time, it seems like they're giving up a really, really big market share. I don't know. Zach, anybody, anybody, anybody? <laughs> yeah, the one note here is that, you know, we had the story the other day about FTX Japan uh, being one of the coveted assets in the bankruptcy process, right? Largely because they had acquired some of those licenses. And that was something that was one of the more regulated parts of the SPF empire that buyers seem to be interested in purchasing. So, you know, while we see these cutbacks here, we also see buying interest from particularly, you know, some actors, unknown actors, I guess, at this point, who are saying, hey, FTX Japan is actually a decent asset. Maybe we should, you know, snap it up and uh, spin up our business in Japan a bit more meaningfully. So maybe one step forward, two steps back, I think, with this FTX Japan interest, you know, plus Kraken, now Coinbase. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. But the crypto market, again, in Japan has always been a bit unique, anomalous in some respects. For outsiders looking to set up shop in that market, it can be difficult. So that's mm -hmm. sort of my initial thought on this. And I don't know if there's much more to say, but David, I'm going to toss it to you. Just to, to reiterate, it is, it's not just a crypto thing either. It's notoriously difficult for uh, anybody to enter the Japanese market for almost anything, historically at least. So that's definitely worth keeping in mind. I wanted to mention one last thing, which is the Binance entry into Japan is still definitely speculative, at least based on what I was reading. They've recently bought a, a Japan-based exchange, but they haven't entirely sort of transition their operation. And I would honestly sound a slight note of caution. I mean, I have no specific reasons for this thought, but I do wonder whether Japanese regulators are going to be entirely happy to see Binance, which has you know, some ambiguities as to its regulatory status, uh, have, have any um, you know, foothold in that country. So uh, I, I think that's definitely a wait and see from me. Oh, Wendy, go for it. Yeah, I just wanted to pop in and give a couple side notes. Coinbase overall daily volume is down approximately 1.3% since late November of 2022. And coin stocks were down 1.6% during the pre-market trading today. I'm not a big numbers person, but I feel like 1.3% down as far as trading volume goes isn't really significant. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that? The November 2022 was the height of the market. And you, to hear that it's only down 1.3%, that's really not that bad at all. So there must it's be more to that right? story there because... Yeah, most of the fall off has happened since November <laughs> of 21, I think. Yeah. 
news from SBF. That guy just won't shut up. Yesterday, he was out here talking again on Substack, uh, just sharing his mind with the world, explaining why everything isn't the way people think it really is. Uh, uh, in this case, he was focusing on FTX US, which he continues to maintain is actually solvent and therefore can g give all its customers back all their money. Now, a lot of people, including the lawyers looking into this bankruptcy case, uh, ha say otherwise. There was a bankruptcy filing yesterday that highlighted the remaining assets in the FTX estate, if you will. And there does seem to be some uh, discrepancies maybe in how they may or may not be accounting for a shortfall. But what really sticks out to me in all this is that SBF can't let the, the narrative continue without himself chiming in. He's got to say, this is what I think. This is how things really are. And he's only focusing on the narratives that are most convenient to him. What he's not talking about are other revelations, like that Alameda had this giant back door that it could basically walk out with all of everyone's money uh, right through. And other allegations of fraud, what's most important to, to him is just to say, you can get your money back, U.S. customers, because that's all he's got left to stand on at this point. David, over to you. Yeah, uh, and I want to highlight that we got another classic SBF Excel spreadsheet with this update. It was not quite as awful and embarrassing and made up as, <laughs> as a previous one that's infamous, but it is still hilarious. He just lives in his mind palace where everything is fine. And I mean, just to, to step back briefly, it is totally plausible that in some mix of balances and tokens, there is enough money to give FTX US customers back their funds. But the problem is that Sam Bankman-Fried and his entire complex of co-conspirators never actually kept track of that money in the first place. So any of the stuff that's being written right now is like post facto slotting these assets into that column rather than anything that was actually tracked at the time. It's all just him going back and trying to reconstruct something that was never there in the first place. And as far as FTX US versus the, the rest of everything else, there is still a lot to be learned there. But it seems like the separation was notional at best. Uh, Wendy, you wanted to chime in. I just don't understand. It's like he has some of the best attorneys in the world representing him, but then he goes out and continues to like gaslight the entire community, regardless if FTX US was solvent or not solvent. It would be a safe thing to say to just keep your mouth shut and just just play your legal <laughs> legends or do whatever it is you're doing, because it's embarrassing at this point. Like, I don't understand why people need to take to Twitter for like to, to discuss things like this, like this. All this stuff is going to be hashed out in court anyways. And maybe he's a narcissist. Maybe there's severe mental disorder there is making him think that, hey, this is OK. This is going to like help save me. Or maybe he's doing it to kind of save face. And he really he really in his head feels like this is the right thing to do. I don't know. I think that it's very crass. I think that it's not good for the entire industry. And it just is kind of setting us back. And I wish he would just keep his mouth shut and let his attorneys defend him, even though I don't think he is worth defending at all. And I don't care for the attorneys that he has hired for obvious mm -hmm. reasons. <laughs> Zach. It's a long way to go between now and October. That's when the trial starts. So there's going to be many a post between now and then as he sits <laughs> in house arrest in Palo Alto. It is interesting, again, like to see this messaging strategy being rolled out like, hey, just I'm, like, I'm going to post through this crisis. We're going to just, ex I'm going to explain it to the best of my ability, my understanding of how it all went down. You know, some of it will be damning. Some of it may cause people to say, okay, huh, maybe this is a good faith argument. 
I don't know. There's going to be a lot of this stuff between now and October, and we're going to see more of these posts in which Sam Bankman-Fried tries to rewrite the history of this epic collapse. That to me is funny that the financial press is hanging on every Substack post from SBF. You know, Bloomberg highlighted the fact that he took to Substack as some like major news event, right? And so we're going to see this time and time again, I think, between now and in October as he tries to get his version of the facts out there. It's just going to be, it's going to be a lot. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot. Can someone call yeah, his mom and tell his mom pass. to take away his internet access, please? Because it's just getting absolutely ridiculous. Sorry, Danny, I had to chime in. Like sometimes mom, so. moms need to be it's called and they got to discipline their kids, man. Go ahead, Danny. <laughs> I believe that she believes that her son did nothing wrong. So she's probably rah, rah, go, go get him, get him on Substack. Share your mind with the world, but he really should stay in his mind palace. I love that. Uh, I love that illusion. He just won't shut up. And I, you know what? I kind of respect it. I like that he's got nothing left to lose at this point. He's facing a lot of charges. He could go for serious time. And he's just going out into the public space and trying to make his case because that's all he can do. And obviously the League of Legends just isn't gutting it. <laughs> all right, let's go stay in the uh, enforcement realm of things. The Department of Justice, I believe, teased a major cryptocurrency enforcement announcement that spooked the markets. Bitcoin was selling off. They announced it at noon Eastern. It's a bit of a nothing burger. I think there was a lot of speculation that bigger parties would be involved. But the news is is that Bitslotto, which I had never heard of before, a Russian crypto exchange, the founder of that exchange, was arrested. We're going to hear a clip from a press conference that is happening now. Let's go. Today's law enforcement actions put all of those who seek to exploit the cryptocurrency ecosystem on notice that the Department of Justice will use every tool working along with our partners, every tool that we have to attack the criminal use of the dark net and cryptocurrency. And we are taking steps to address the crisis of confidence in the cryptocurrency markets, where criminals and fraudsters seek to operate beyond the reach of law enforcement. You're seeing a live feed of the Department of Justice press conference now. I'm tossing it to David for initial thoughts. What's this all about? Yeah, I, I want to say two things. Um, first, I think we kind of got fudded by the DOJ here, uh, the, the major announcement that uh, stopped what was a uh, building rally for Bitcoin and similar assets. Um, certainly not uh, the worst thing in the world. I think we could use a little cool down maybe, but it is interesting that they hyped this up and, and it's a rather obscure, but it seems significant um, exchange that was basically operating without KYC, working closely with something called Hydra Market to essentially launder criminal proceeds. It's significant, but it's not the quite as major as they were hyping it up to be. I want to say two other things. One is that every time there's, there's a tension in all of these enforcement actions, right? Because regulators and legislators in the United States are constantly agitating for new crypto regulations, tighter rules. We need to like change the way this all works. But every time a law enforcement agency successfully busts one of these big criminal operations under current law, it undermines the argument that we need different, stricter laws for crypto. So I want to highlight that. Final point in what we just heard, some interesting phrasing. They're going up against people who exploit the crypto ecosystem and they're framing their actions as restoring faith in crypto was something to the effect of what I heard, which is a very interesting and I think somewhat novel formulation from DOJ compared to saying the cryptocurrency ecosystem enables inherently criminal activity. So I, I think that that's a quite interesting framing coming from them. 
Danny, you want to take a shot? For sure, yeah. And I, I agree with you, and I appreciate you bringing up that point. The, the wording here is everything. DOJ really pours over how it presents information like this to the world. And for them to say, we're doing this to make sure that people aren't misusing crypto. It's not, they're not like defending the industry, but they are certainly policing it and almost giving it like an olive branch and saying, you have, I guess, a right to exist. And, but of course we have a right to prosecute uh, those who break our laws. So this will uh, be an unfortunate development for users of this exchange, but at least in terms of the way the DOJ is thinking about it, they're doing what's right by the crypto space. Wendy. I got to chime in. Okay, a couple things. We're literally talking about a country that's been pretty much sanctioned by the entire world. So I don't understand how the DOJ can come in and charge this person anyways, because if it is a Russian exchange and this person is in Russia, like they can charge them, but can they really go in and get them? Because we've, we've heard a lot of different news about, hold on, Zach, hold on, Zach, hold on, Zach. And also too, one of the things that I always think about, and again, we got to put on the tinfoil tiara here, is that when they announce news like this, especially a big nothing burger news, what are they announcing to the world to hide? Because there's always other things happening behind the scenes that doesn't get pushed out to mainstream media because of all this insanity that they're talking about to me, which is really a big nothing burger. Go ahead, Zach. This just in. No, he was a Russian national uh, arrested in Miami. So he was residing or at least present in the U.S. when this enforcement was ta- enforcement okay. action was taken. That's certainly worth noting in terms of where this arrest occurred and how. Yeah, they're asserting sort of jurisdictional ability to take this action. And I'm sure according to the law, that's something that's, that is legit. And that's what happened here. That was the, the news event. But I think the announcements of the announcement, people were certainly expecting something maybe a bit more substantive. He just sunned us. Are they just sunned us? They did. DOJ <laughs> just sunned us by doing the announcement of the announcement. David, any last thoughts on this one before we wrap? Um, I just wanted, I had one clarifying comment, which is another part of the DOJ statement, was that despite claiming they weren't serving U.S. customers, this exchange was serving U.S. customers, which is pretty much always the case. And, and that's basis for actions like this. Cool. Well, we'll leave it there today. That was The Hash. Thanks for being here with us on Coindesk TV. Thanks for checking us out on the podcast network as well. We love viewers and listeners alike. I'm Zach Seward. We have Wendy O, David Morris, and Danny Nelson. Check us out. A lot of good stuff over at Coindesk.com today. Read up on the news. Thanks, everybody. Check the charts. All that jazz. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 